0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a fun one. We are talking to Darren Hill. Darren was a member of that excellent rock band from the late 70s, early 80s, Red Rockers. You may remember them. Remember this song, China? This song was huge in the early 80s. Big MTV hit. This was actually off their second album. Their first album, Condition Red, uh, sounded very much more like hardcore punk. In fact, they were sort of being known at the time as like the American Clash. Their second album, Good As Gold, that featured China, went in a completely different direction. Uh, Very successful, not huge. And then the third album is called Schizophrenic Circus, and that album is great, too. Produced by our former guest, William Whitman. Uh, Unfortunately, that album has a terrible cover, and it kind of got torpedoed because of it. After that, he went on to play in a band called Rain Dogs, But he, in the early 90s, sort of partnered up with Paul Westerberg, and he played on Paul's First solo album, 14 songs. He's got great stories in here about the time they performed on Saturday Night Live. It's awesome. And then from there, he sort of left music and he became Paul's manager. He also was the manager for Rocky Erickson, who passed away recently, uh, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. He's got some great, great stories about the second chapter of his career. It's awesome. Um, anyway, a huge thanks to this one goes out to our listener, Derek Johnson. Derek had been trying to hook me up with Darren for, I think it took about a year, year and a half for Darren and I to finally do this from the time I first emailed him to try and get this to happen. Anyway, uh, Darren's a great guy with a lot of great stories. What a life. He's led so many different lives within this music industry and they're all interesting and he tells fantastic stories about them. So I hope you enjoy this. I know I did. Uh, He called me from his home in New England. Well, okay, so Darren, here's the deal. Like I said, I've been wanting to feature Red Rocks on here for four years now, and I'm very grateful to our friend Derek for helping set this up. To me, there's two, two sides, I guess, or two chapters of your, of your music career that are both equally as interesting. One's the music side, one's the management side. We're going to talk about some of the other things. I do feel like we have to kick it off, though, with talking a little bit about Rocky. Um, I don't, I've don't i never known. Do you say Rocky or Rokey? Rocky? Rocky okay that's what i've always said and then i suddenly talking to you worried that i was doing it wrong
1: yeah um, it, it was a uh, abbreviation for for roger canard yeah which was his his first and middle name
0: that's what i thought so you for years have been managing rocky erickson and i will admit i am not an expert on rocky i came to know him through the high fidelity soundtrack which is when a lot of people probably discovered the 13th floor at elevators and mm-hmm. um I know that he's a bit of an enigma. I know that he battled mental health for a long time and seemed to come out and now he's not with us anymore. What can you how did you get become involved with Rocky and then what's the magic? What tell me why Rocky is
1: special? Wow, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer, but I can tell you how I uh, I came to to work with Rocky. Mm-hmm. Some mutual friends of ours in Austin were involved in a, uh, a documentary that was being made mm-hmm. about Rocky's life called You're Going to Miss Me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of entered the picture right at that time. And Rocky was on the upswing, uh, beginning on the upswing, I guess, from his, his mental uh, issues and wanted to make a comeback. So mm-hmm. I got involved and uh, you know started working together and uh, really hit it off. That was about I'm going to say 14 years ago, maybe 15. Okay. And uh, it's interesting because uh, we were actually label mates. Rocky's Evil One record was hmm. on 415 Records, which is the same label <laughs> yeah. that put out Condition Red. I didn't know that. By the Red Rockers. Yeah. Oh, in wow. fact, I have uh, in my office here, I've got a, uh, a Trouser Press full-page uh, advertisement, it features Rocky's record and the Red Rockers record, so no kind of neat. Oh, that's I showed him that. Yeah.
0: yeah. that is great. So, what made Rocky Ra- Rocky's special? Rocky's very
1: special. He invented psychedelic music. You know, it's mm-hmm. said that that Janis Joplin learned how to sing from him. Mm. Just a, a brilliant, amazing songwriter that was way ahead of his time. And you all probably know about the uh, you know the the, the storied history of, of, of the elevators and mm-hmm. taking LSD and imploding and then Rocky being sent to a, a, a mental institution that mm-hmm. was high, high security and they gave him thorazine and shock treatment there and uh, you know remarkably he, he made it through that and then started uh, the second chapter of his music career which was you know he was at the forefront of the, uh, the punk movement. Mm-hmm all along too you know he had this other side to him that was sort of a singer songwriter folky sort of um texas troubadour mm-hmm. body of work that that he had done too but uh rocky was just an amazing man he he could he could see things that no one else could see hmm. um you know nate <laughs> people attribute that to his third eye
0: sure <laughs> right right yeah. okay yeah, I've always assumed, and it sounds like it kind of is a sort of a cross between like a Sid Barrett and a Daniel Johnston, in a way, you know. In it's...
1: a in a way, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you hate to to lump him in with those guys, and and for the criteria to be you know mental mm. illness, but you know, I, I thought Rocky was was far more interesting and talented than than both of those gentlemen. Mm. To to take nothing away from sure. either one of them, because I. I love both of them right
0: so when you're I mean I my understanding is that he was battling schizophrenia and among other things for many years when how does that manifest itself I mean when you're when you're managing a guy who you've got to get on stage in Austin or Des Moines or Chicago or whatever and is he is it like I don't know that much about it to be frank is it like narcolepsy where it sort of comes in and out is it uh is it a try is it really challenging to get him there on stage propped up sober enough not not alcoholic sober you know what i mean to pre- you know perform what what are the challenges there
1: see i i think uh most of the schizophrenic uh, manifestations were were prior to my involvement with him oh, because when i started working with him he was really I mean, I thought I thought he was sharp. He was very quiet and he and he kind of speaks sometimes in his own language. But once mm. you get to to learn and understand that language, um, you know, he, he was just like anyone else. OK, yeah, never, never had any of those issues. OK,
0: that's yeah. what I've always yeah. wondered. I mean, he was so um, redeemed and kind of beloved those la- these last 15 or so years that you mentioned and um but i you just hear about the the health issues, the mental health issues, and I just thought, how do those things present themselves what kind of what does Darren have to deal with? you know, but it sounds like he was okay, he was lucid, and yes. doing his best, okay,
1: great. He, he really was, and he was getting better by the day
0: good, okay. um what do you miss most
1: Oh, just having conversations with him and his unusual sense of humor really i'd I'd say, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: How often yeah. as a manager, how often do you talk with him or Paul Westerberg, who we'll talk about later? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know how this works. Do you guys talk every day, multiple times? Do you text? Is it once in a great while? How does it work?
1: Well, Rocky, uh, you know, he, he didn't have email or mm. a cell phone or anything like that. Same mm. as Paul, mm. <laughs> interestingly uh, But um, yeah, we talked on the phone and, you know, I, I would, go down to Austin or meet those guys out on the road occasionally and, uh, you know, talk to them in person. But I was, I was fortunate to have, there was always uh, a member of his family that was involved and could sort of be my, uh, Mm. my boots on the ground, so to speak. Nice. Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you for, I hope that was okay to ask. I've, I honestly am curious what, and we'll get more into it a little bit later, but I'm curious what the day-to-day routine of a, of an artist manager is, especially some. Yeah, well,
1: you know, w- with with the artists that I've worked with, you know, I think friendship is first and foremost, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I mean, best of friends. You know, yeah, Paul yeah. was the best man at my wedding. You know? Really? No we uh, have Yeah, we have relationships that are uh, above and beyond the normal, you know, manager-client yeah. relationship that's great
0: okay all right let's table that we'll get to it more later let's talk about uh, Red rockers because everyone pretty much knows you for China but I don't know you know casual listeners will say remember China from being on probably college radio or even some pop radio back in the day
1: yeah and MTV yeah actually yep. was the number one uh, hit number one in modern rock and billboard in 83 really yeah nice. But we had a whole career prior to that yeah
0: that's what I want to know different. so I mean, Condition Red, you guys start out as like the American Clash. I don't know if that's a label that was put upon you. I don't know if that's what you were aspiring to and uh, gave yourself that moniker. But you started out as these really amazing punk rockers in New Orleans. How serious of an influence, I guess, was the Clash on what you were doing? Huge. Really?
1: Gigantic. Yeah. 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 I, 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 you know, To this day, I'm still you know uh a massive clash fan they Mm -hmm. were just everything to me but you know of course there were there were a lot of bands from from the initial um punk explosion that that had that sort of influence on me but the clash were were first and foremost they just spoke to me because they had a message they they you know they knew their politics Mm -hmm. but they they couched it in uh you know just great music that inspired me like you wouldn't believe.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: I was I was fortunate when I was in high school, my bandmates and I before we started the band, we were fortunate to see the Sex Pistols mm. and the Ramones with the Runaways opening mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, this was 1978, you know, after seeing those within like a couple of months period, you know, it was like here we go, we're starting yeah. a band. <laughs> you yeah. know, anyone can do this. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think I read somewhere that at the time you guys because there weren't there wasn't a gigantic punk scene I guess in New Orleans any time bands like black flag or whatever would come through you guys were the opener
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we, we were one of the few punk bands at the time in New Orleans So yeah, any any of those bands came through black flag X the dead boys sure. uh, oh, That's right XPC, you toured with them. everybody Wait, okay. You were two, the opening band.
0: You opened okay, two things. One, I got to know what it's like to tour with Stid Baters and and uh Dead Boys. <laughs> and then I got you opened for XTC.
1: What's that like? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know. That might have been their only tour. I can't recall yeah. those guys doing that many tours. Gosh, they 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 were a great band. Not not so much live, but I love their records. They were, mm-hmm. they were very um technically um you know proficient i would mm-hmm. say
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh not terribly exciting at the same time mm-hmm. to watch live i could see that yeah yeah okay echo and the bunnyman that was another one we you opened, opened for, for them oh yeah one of
0: my favorites too oh, <laughs> they, they, they were great they yeah. were a great
1: band wow but uh yeah dead boys uh here, here's a funny story so our, we actually ended up doing a um a short tour with them sort of our first foray out of town mm. and the first show was in Houston, Texas and mm-hmm. the Dead Boys I guess were flying in to start the tour and we played our set the Dead Boys still hadn't shown up there was you know, no sign of them of course <laughs> this was all pre-cell phone or anything mm-hmm. like that so nobody knew what was going on or if they were even going to show up so the promoter came over to us about mm, 45 minutes after our set and asked us if we would play again we're like we don't know any more songs <laughs> so we just repeated the set again really and did that yeah still no sign of of, of the dead boys meanwhile I think it was a two two o'clock curfew it was about one thirty, and uh the the club owner asked us to go on again and we said no way we can't play our songs three times in a row <laughs> so then they, they come barreling in the door and they just get right up on stage I, they were using our equipment and uh they took the stage i remember Steve Bader's, uh, this is a classic punk rock move. He took the, the mic stand and just bashed the, uh, the, the, the ceiling out above the stage. Uh You know, it was one of those hung ceilings and there was like fiberglass foam just flying everywhere. And they, uh, it was was one of the greatest moments I I ever remember.
0: Oh man, that is heaven right there. Oh, that's the best. Nice. So let's talk about that sound. I mean, um, when you were you obviously you were influenced and you liked the Clash. Did you set out to sort of sound like them too? I mean, their that first album is so good, but song you know songs like "Guns of Revolution" and whatever. I mean, these are they sound like an American version of the Clash. It sounds like just what you were labeled as. Was that a, was that the goal?
3: You can't run, you can't hide, cause the revolution, so it's a solution, of the constitution.
1: Uh, I wouldn't necessarily sort of say it was the, the goal, but it, it, it certainly came out that way. Mm. And uh, you know, w- when we were first starting, other than than John, uh, the singer and guitar player, he you know he was the only real musician in the band. He was the only one that knew how to play before we started the band. And, and I think probably um, you know learning uh, covers initially to to. Figure out how to play.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, I, I brought in a ton of Clash songs, and and you know that's what we learned. So I think by osmosis we absorbed sort of their sound. Yeah, right. I would say. And um, then it was a, a real thrill to uh, to open for those guys. Yeah. We did another uh, little short tour with those guys. Do you have the any combat rock stories? Tour. Do you have any stories? Not 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 so much from that um by that time jim riley had joined our band he was a drummer Mm -hmm. in stiff little fingers who was another uh big influence on us and that that was a dream come true yeah scratching my head how how did this happen (laughs) i gotta be (laughs) honest
0: i love you and i've wondered that same thing how does the guy from (laughs) stiff little fingers come and join this band of all people you know
1: oh well that that's another uh sort of interesting story uh howie klein who owned Mm -hmm. 415 records uh he also had a radio show on kusf in san francisco we had just lost our drummer and we're looking for a new one howie had bono on his radio show Mm -hmm. and um you know, mentioned that one of the bands on his label is looking for a drummer, and they're a great band, and you know, they're looking for somebody that's you know into the Clash and Stiff Little Fingers. And he, Bono says immediately, "Well, my my uh, my buddy Jim Riley just no left Stiff Little Fingers, and he's on his way over to the states, and uh, you know, I'm sure he'd love to join the band."
0: Oh, no way!
1: And what? That's how it happened.
0: Yeah. No way! That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, look, were songs off Condition Red? I don't even know. I mean, was it getting... Were you getting airplay? Was it one of those, like, underground punk things where things are just kind of getting passed around, very DIY? How did you even get a chance to rise above? Was it just touring with the right people?
1: Well, we moved out to uh, to California um, mm. before Condition Red was recorded. We We um. actually went to Austin. We recorded three songs that uh, two of them eventually wound up on Condition Red, not those versions, but the songs themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mailed them out to all the fanzines and, and college radio stations that I could you know, come up with, mm-hmm. and it really started taking off at college radio. It was it was kind of neat to see, mm-hmm. uh, see us you know up on on playlists across yeah. the country in all these stations.
2: What was getting and that, played? That by the really way.
1: gave us a foot. Uh, of Revolution was, was, was the song. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the early ones. That and Teenage Underground was not flip side. Okay. I don't
3: Care what's right or wrong. I got everything I need. Don't need to know what cool is. It's in my blood. Don't want to live life fast. I know who we are. Who we are.
1: Yeah, so that that gave us a foothold, I think, uh, you know, and helped us, you know, rise above. But Mm -hmm. once we got out to California, we, we, you know, played with all the the bands out there. That scene was really exploding. Mm -hmm. We chose California because we we felt more of an affinity and and, um, a brotherhood with with those bands than we did the the East Coast, New York Mm -hmm. punk rock bands, which were more, I don't know. Cerebral, maybe describe hundred, okay. yeah. but we were welcomed, opened, armed. And, uh, you know, we, we, we played fast and tough, but we also had, you know, a, a bit of melody in our, in our songs and a little tunemanship that, that, uh, I think helped us as well.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. Did you, um, now this had to have been during the time of like X and the plugs and the germs and... All those bands that are kind of going crazy in Southern California, right?
1: Oh yeah, all, yeah. all of the above, and then we migrated it up north to San Francisco, and you had the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. and and uh, DOA and the Subhumans, which had come down from Vancouver, and uh, uh, there were there were a ton of great San Francisco bands at the yeah. time, Mutants and Do you victims. have um,
0: any Jello Biafra stories?
1: Well, we stayed at his house. Uh, he let us live live with him. Yeah, for uh, <laughs> until we could get our feet on the ground oh, that's great. in San Francisco. And uh yeah, he sang on our first record. Well, yeah. like yodeled or something on right. our first record.
0: <laughs> I read that somewhere that he's on Folsom Prison Blues, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. Yep. I it didn't leap out to me that he was on there, and I thought, well, it says he's on. He's on there somewhere, but it's not like obvious, you know.
1: And we 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 at the, the Baboue Gardens, and he would jump up and and do songs with us, and he he was just great, man. He's the man. He, was, he really, really is. Yeah, yeah.
0: So what brought on then the change in style? I mean, Good as Gold, is this a what I've always been curious about is if I don't know if you wrote China and you were like China is not a song for the band we once were we need to now morph into something else or was it label pressure was it internal like no we want to grow I mean everyone knows punk had sort of a short shelf life there's only so far you can take that you
1: know Um, what was happening why did you do it that is a uh, another good question. I think it was a combination of everything you, you just mentioned. It certainly started internally. Uh, you know, we, we started progressing as, as musicians and like, oh yeah, there are minor, minor chords besides mm. the major chords, <laughs> and you know, we, we can do this. And and we we definitely wanted to grow. We didn't want to stay stagnant and repeat um, Condition Red for our next record. Uh, At the same time, I I don't think any of us realized that the change would be so uh, drastic or dramatic, Mm -hmm. but it's the way it worked. We uh, went into the studio with uh, the the same uh, producer that produced Condition Red. His name's David Kahn, Mm -hmm. and he's gone on to produce everybody from Paul McCartney to Regina Spector to Mm -hmm. the Bangles and Tony Bennett and, you know, on and on and on. He is just a fantastic musician and producer. And when we brought in our little batch of songs, I think he recognized that maybe they were, they had more to them than than the previous set did, and mm. they could really be expanded on. So, so we worked pretty hard with him in in pre-production, sort of refining the sound and the songs, and recorded that record had no idea it was going to going to take off like it did mm-hmm. but right about the same time uh 415 records sold us to uh columbia records mm-hmm. and columbia records heard what we had recorded with david and heard china and said you know what that's a hit yeah. so they immediately started jumping on it they they sent uh annie liebowitz down to new orleans to take the photos for our album cover yeah. which blew our minds yeah and, you know, spent money on on making videos that MTV played because mm-hmm. I think there were probably only 16 videos right, at the time, right, right. <laughs> so we were in heavy yeah. rotation. And um, you know, modern rock radio was starting to explode at the time. For that format was really mm-hmm. taken off, and and they latched onto it and. We did a ton of touring too. They mm. they uh, they paired us up with the Go Go's and Minute mm. Work and the B 52s and bands that you know maybe the previous year we would wouldn't no. have been caught in the same club.
2: With. Exactly. But, you know, exactly. Yeah. And
1: at the same time, you know, you're enticed by you know, it's sure. like, oh wow, girls like this kind of music. Uh,
0: it always comes back to girls, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I believe it.
1: I guess we were okay looking kids so sure. they you know they put us in teen beat and yeah. tiger beat and yeah. all, all those stupid now, magazines and
0: uh, so i i just gotta ask i what did some did any did the punk community think you sold out do you think you sold out
1: yes and yes okay okay <laughs> it, remarkably a lot of the, the the punk fans that we had uh, stuck with us okay and, and stayed with us but a lot of them didn't and i mm-hmm. can certainly understand why and yeah looking back on it i'll, I'll fully admit that we sold out mm. absolutely
2: mm.
1: i mean i'm proud of what what we did sure. but at the same time it was you know i th- i think our 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 motives were different yeah at yeah. that point okay
0: i don't you know i think about bands like look punk uh, Punk is definitely a lifestyle. It's an ethos that is worth pursuing and worth being about. But so is making great music. And if a band like Red Rockers, uh, if the world gets to enjoy Good as Gold because you guys have decided to blossom, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. And if you got paid for it, all the better. You deserve it because you're good. You know what I mean? It but there's this internal struggle I get from punks who are like that's not how it works, but there's nothing wrong with that if you ask me. You know?
1: Well, I'm 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 glad you feel that way and I'm glad you said that. Um I guess I feel that way to a, to an extent as well. Mm. Okay. Absolutely. And and just for the record, we didn't make money. But <laughs> <laughs> we spent it, but we didn't we didn't Oh, make got it. it.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. So what, um, I don't even know, what was the follow-up single after China? Uh, Good as cold. you feel like I gotta be honest I don't remember ever seeing a video for that or anything
1: uh, that, that one was a really fun video really uh, yeah they, they flew us down to uh, this location in uh, right at the border of Texas and Mexico where John Wayne had filmed the Alamo mm-hmm. and, the, and the whole set was still there mm. and we, we got to play Cowboys for you know three days riding mm. on horses and fake guns and mm-hmm. oh, it was a blast it nice. was so much fun
0: nice yeah so did you feel though that uh, I mean that song didn't let's be honest it didn't make as much of an impact as China no I mean,
1: it certainly didn't
0: did you feel like the label did you dirty did you feel like they did they only have it in mind to, per, to kind of push one single off that thing and then let it sort of die what was the thought there
1: no I think they were they were pushing that one and uh, yeah, it just didn't didn't catch on like, catch like, on. like China did. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, I think that my favorite song off that album is Till It All Falls Down.
3: First you put it in, then you take it out. You draw a line, then you rub it out. You dirty it up, then you wash it out.
0: I especially like it because you get to be super funky on there, you know?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's some amazing yeah. bass playing on there. And it's uh, no, thank you. It's so funky. I love that track.
1: So, thank you. Did you ever hear the the, the remix they, they did of it? They had a, um, one of the New York DJs, I think at the time, his name was Ivan Ivan. I know him. Um, no way. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did a remix of it. It's like 10 minutes long or something. Really? It's <laughs> wild. Yeah and then and on the flip side is uh, we did a cover of uh, Ball of Confusion with uh, Deborah Ayal from Romeo Boys yeah. duetting with with John And, and that was cool too, because that's that's a great face line. No
0: way! I didn't. I, I yeah. wonder if that's on YouTube. If it's, I'm actually, I'm Facebook friends with him. Maybe he has it in his archive somewhere. I'll ping him and find out. I wonder. That is wild. Um, I'll ask. Okay. Yeah. But, so
1: that was the third single, but it was pushed to uh, to clubs more than radio. Oh, uh, okay. And then okay. it did really well, actually.
0: I could see that. Yeah, people would want to dance to that. So, yeah. um, you know. It, What's it like being out there opening for, you know, men at work after having just slugged it out in some sweaty little club with, you know, 20 guys beating the crap out of each other or whatever, (laughs) you know, like without their shirts on and mohawks and stuff, you know?
1: It was great, actually. I bet it was. Good. Yeah. Playing, you know, arenas and stadiums and, you know, young girls in the front and... (laughs) (laughs) I yes. don't <laughs> you know and you backstage you get all you know the you know the big spreads and everything it was, it, it was great it mm-hmm. was and every band we toured with was was wonderful to us. Good. it was uh, a really great experience.
0: what uh, you're really you so far you've been great at telling stories. Do you have any stories from that time? Is there anything that sticks out?
1: Oh, man, I don't know if any I can uh, I can can reveal.
0: Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, Okay, so Good as Gold eventually gets played out. It's a great album. And then Schizophrenic Circus comes along. You work with William Whitman. That would be cool. (laughs) That would be cool. Uh, I just had William on here. We talked about you a little bit uh, a couple of months ago.
1: Well, I I know him as Bill, but yeah. Oh, does he go by Bill? (laughs) Oh. Well, he did then. He did. Not, okay. Now he's now he's Sir William, I guess. Right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
0: Yeah, hit it, and your sound gets more smoothed out. But to me, see here, I feel like you guys take some heat for that album that is undeserved because I think that album is just as good. It's just a a continual, you know, progression in sound. You, it sounds like a lot of those other sort of Heartland Rock albums that someone like a Mellencamp Camp or whatever. I I hope that's not. I think that's good, a good thing. Maybe that makes you. I, that's cringe. a
1: that's a huge compliment. I'll take that. Oh, good. Day.
0: Okay, good. Cause yeah. I mean, that sound was huge at the time. You guys are doing it. You're doing really well. Did you hate take heat for that album?
1: I, I don't think so. At that point, um, not 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 so much. Okay. Uh, and I I think I I love the way that record sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back on it, um, pretty pretty proud of it. and Some good good tunes on it, and. Uh, you know, we we were fortunate to uh to be the opening act for U two on Unforgettable mm-hmm. Fire right after that record came out and that, that was, you know, obviously a great experience. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think you know, you know, Bill and uh or William and uh and Rick Chertoff, the other mm-hmm. co producer of that record, uh, they had worked with the Hooters yeah. and I think, you know, there was a little bit of Yeah, you know, we sounded a little bit like like their sound I think
0: but I like their sound that's okay with me yeah you know yeah, I, lo- good. I love those guys um, you guys yeah. even covered Blood from the Stone or no that's right yeah they put that yep. on their obscure first album
3: yeah buddy Sam. mountain, too high to climb, but we got around it and you can't drive the outside lane, last car on the gravy train, and you can't scream, and you can't bow, but you can't get blood from a stone.
0: that's right kind of spi- uh, beautified it put it on your album and then they did another cop another version on their breakthrough album right
1: yeah that's right.
0: that's right that's right Yeah. okay okay um i do have to tell you that that uh cover the album cover is not good
1: <laughs> no and that that's one thing i am uh completely embarrassed and ashamed about in fact I don't even want it in this podcast. <laughs> really? I tried to find every copy and burn it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was something. The labeled. it was a, a good idea that went totally askew and yeah. and haywire, and we didn't even know what was going on till till it was out. Yeah, that that photo was supposed to be on a a crumpled up little uh, circus flyer that was laying on on the ground that you could mm. barely see and the label and our management at the time turned it into the the yeah. whole picture into a cover. And yeah. yeah, it was we were horrified. That's that's, Still not, horrified. The, that's not the right not the right move. Yeah. No. It uh No and and it and it's a shame because I think it really hurt the record.
0: I wondered about that. And I yeah. you know, ultimately I don't know if stuff like that matters, but for a band like you it misrepresents what you're getting into. That it looks like a very eighties you know, like some new wave band Like Roman Holiday exactly. Or something like that Kaja
1: Goo Goo Or something, yeah
0: They should have had that album cover Not you guys, you know
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep
0: um, What were the Were there singles off of that album? I don't even know Did they did it get pushed?
1: Yeah, the, the first single was um, Eve of Destruction Ah uh, of course Barry Maguire one. song The Eastern world
3: And even the joy to live
1: Yeah, and we made a really cool video uh for that song. So pretty proud of that.
0: Good. Okay.
1: Um yeah, and then uh and then Blood From A Stone was the second single.
0: Okay. All right. Um does that bother you that they put out sing- uh covers as the singles? Did that even register uh, at the time?
1: No, nah, I don't think it even registered okay. honestly.
0: Okay. So what's happening? I mean is the are you guys <sighs> internally are the wheels falling off at all or are you just like this one didn't hit as good as the last one but we'll just do one more no big deal
1: yeah we we were definitely the wheels were definitely falling falling off we we went into the studio started recording demos for the next record it it was tough because we had moved to boston at that point and everybody still had girlfriends down in new orleans and it was kind of going back and forth and uh you know eventually it's like one of the guys decided he was gonna stay was gonna leave the band and it just fell apart and then um jim Riley and i we uh we stayed in boston and started a a new band
0: yeah the rain dogs
3: i gotta be honest i don't know
0: that much about the rain dogs go I love that so Irish met... rock sound, and so I have a feeling I would like them.
2: Yes,
1: you, you definitely would. We okay. uh, we hooked up with uh, a world-renowned Irish, well, Scottish fiddle player, Johnny mm. Cunningham. Mm. This guy was you know, world-famous at this point, and he liked us for some reason. So he said, yeah, I'll, I'll try my hand at playing in a rock band. So the three of us recruited... Um, singer songwriter from rhode island named mark cutler that was in a band called the schemers that were really popular in this area but never really could quite make it Hmm. so uh we enticed him to quit that band and join our band and he did Hmm. and uh we got signed to uh atco atlantic records Mm -hmm. did a record actually we did two two records um and speaking of melancamp uh the second record was produced by don gaiman that's right
2: Yeah. yeah
0: first album i don't think came out till about what 1990
1: or something yeah i believe you're right okay
2: uh,
0: so what do you what do you what is a guy like you who's in a mildly successful band that's now over how do you pay your bills for those five years in between releases (laughs) you know what i mean
1: you do what anybody else does you (laughs) get odd jobs yeah like painting and Hmm. construction and you know whatever you could do to get by okay but uh the dogs were were, we were kind of up and running by 87 and uh playing around new england and a lot of a lot of colleges and and new england's great because you can go up and down the east coast and you know cities are an hour or two apart from each other unlike new orleans where the closest cities were Atlanta on one side and Houston on the other. You know, Yeah, good point. in between. True. So we, yeah, we were able to, to make a living playing music before um, we were able to get our first record. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, you know, okay. had, to, had to work during the day too.
0: Okay, yeah, I believe it. Was there any kind of sense, I'm always fascinated by the transitions that people in your situation go through at these times in their career because the, the meal ticket, you know, the the mildly successful band that's getting videos and airplay and stuff like that is now over and you have to invest and go all in in this new unproven thing that may or may not happen. Is that difficult? I mean, you talk about going back to work. I'm guessing at the height of Red Rockers, you didn't have to do that. Is that is that difficult? Do you even care? Are you just like, look, I'm 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 a musician. I don't whatever I got to do to just. Play at night, I don't care, I'll do it.
1: Yeah, you, you always have to believe in yourself and, mm. and, and believe that you can do it. And uh, I was fortunate to have, uh, you know, lightning strike once, sort of, and mm. what are the odds of it happening again? Pretty slim. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you know, what else am I going to do? This, yeah. is, <laughs> yeah. this is what I love, and, yeah. uh, you know, I was just getting started, so I'm going to do it again.
0: Yeah okay Um, but it is
1: tough
0: I can imagine it seems like it would be Um, so somewhat now look if I look you up in allmusic.com a a list of your credits include some of the early replacement albums listed as assistant so somewhere is that is that true were you does your relationship with those guys go back to like early 80s and all that
1: Oh, it does only because uh, we did shows together with the mm. replacements back in the day, the okay. Red Rockers. Uh, but yeah, I think those those credits are probably from the reissues, mm. which I was, uh, you know, co-producer or whatever, okay. on on the replacements reissues. Okay, going back to yeah, 2004, I think. Yeah, I was
0: curious where all that fits in. So at what point now you get I know there's Clover, I know there's, um, but eventually you get sort of invited. I guess, were, were you did you remain friendly with Paul during this whole time and when it came time to kind of go solo and do his own thing, he wanted you on board?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say friendly. Uh, I was probably uh, friendlier with, with, with Tommy and, and some of the yeah. other guys than I was with Paul at the time, but when Paul was, was auditioning people for his first solo band after after the replacements uh i got a call to come and do it myself and uh my buddy david minahan who was in the neighborhoods Mm. do you know that band no but his Um, name
0: sounds really familiar i wonder if he did something else i know
1: so uh yeah so we 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 came up or down from boston and uh auditioned and uh that was a pretty uh, interesting experience, really, uh, you know, nerve-wracking, I guess, because there were some heavy hitters in those I auditions. <laughs> I bet. And uh, yeah, so then, then uh, you know, a couple days later, I got the call that, yeah, no it was way, a band. So it was great. Yeah. yeah. Got to play on Saturday Night Live and toured the world a couple times. Are you on great the? Um,
0: are you on like Dyslexic Heart and stuff like that?
1: We played those songs. Uh, he recorded those uh, those songs for the um, Cameron Crow movie uh-huh. singles. Right. So I think there were probably a lot of studio musicians involved in the recording of those.
0: so
2: uh, okay. it would
1: be 14 songs and
0: so you are on fourteen songs yeah, yeah. okay. world class fad that was the mm-hmm. that was the hit off that one. So you, I mean, at the time, you're probably thinking, hey, I'm still in the game, you know? Paul's got a lot of wind in his sails because he's going solo and he's on this popular soundtrack and everything. You're thinking, I'm good, I'm set for... In fact, that may have even been more stable than the Red Rocker days.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a hired gun, but at the same time, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the future looked very bright.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Now, tell me about Grandpa Boy, because... Why did Paul need to have an alter ego?
1: <laughs> he was um still under contract from cap with Capitol Records at, at okay. the time but um and it just put out a record called uh it was Freak Gene gratification. Um I Love that album. But he had he, very very different sound than than the Grandpa boy, boy stuff. So mm-hmm. he wanted to do uh you know Release some of the music that he'd been making at home that was just fun, mm. and uh, I had started a, a little record label at the time, and I said, "Hey, man, you know, let's put this out." So mm-hmm. we did it. We had to put it out under Grandpa Boy as opposed to Paul Westerberg, though. Mm-hmm. But uh, that it was, it was it was a blast.
2: Okay,
0: I really like um, I have Dead Man Shake. I really like Vampires and Failures.
1: oh yeah that was good do you have the uh the ep that was uh prior to that no song called hotten on it yeah you should look that up
0: that's Really? really
2: cool okay yeah
1: okay
0: When at what point then does he decide to make you his manager?
1: Not too long after that.
2: Mm.
1: I realized at, at, at that point I had uh, started a family. My son was born um, during the Rain Dogs days, but you know I really wanted to get off the road and and you know experience fatherhood and mm. raise my son as opposed to you know being the guy that was on the road all the time and mm-hmm. saw him twice a year. So um yeah i decided i was go- i was going to hang up the base so to speak and and transition into something else and management seemed like the logical choice for me because um you know in every band i was in i, I by d- default ended up being the guy that was responsible enough to take care of the business oh, yeah. and the things mm-hmm. so and i and i learned a lot along the way and made a lot of a lot of contacts and networked. as much as i could because i knew that eventually i wanted to do that and um so yeah I, I i had done that and uh at the point that uh paul and i started working together I, I had had two bands uh on my roster at that point that were that were you know pretty successful i had a band called the dropkick murphys that were that. uh that, that we signed to uh hellcat epitaph and then yeah. a band called called uh the royal crowns that we mm-hmm. uh we signed to uh velvel okay it's walter, walter
0: yetnikoff yeah um yeah i saw i love the dropkick murphys i saw them open for the sex pistols at the war Warfie- oh, yeah. at the warfield in san francisco in the early 2000s yep i i don't were you still handling them at that point
1: that was right when i uh when i we, we parted ways so okay. yeah i was there for the first six years so 96 to yeah. 2002 I guess yeah
0: yeah it was them and Reverend Horton Heat opening for the Sex Pistols and it uh, was a f- it was fun show to be able to say I saw the Sex Pistols but you know you're seeing a yeah very different version
1: <laughs> see I, I deliberately didn't go because I didn't want to taint my mm-hmm. memory I of could see that seeing <laughs> yeah. the original yeah
0: if anything I came away more uh, impressed by Dropkick Murphys than I did Sex Pistols or anybody else. They made a lot more lasting impression on me. Yeah, great guys. There you go. Um, Now somewhere in here, you're managing the New York Dolls for a little bit too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was managing David Johansson, and um, one day got a call from Morrissey of all people. Uh, Oh yeah. Going to be curating the Meltdown Festival Mm -hmm. in London, and of course, you know, everyone knows he was the uh, the president of the New York fan. Uh, Dolls fan club in Mm -hmm. England when he was growing up. So his big dream was to reunite the New York Dolls Mm -hmm. to, you know, play his festival. So I pitched it to David and, uh, I was actually kind of shocked when he said, yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) So, uh, got, got Sylvain and Arthur Kane involved Mm and, uh, and off we went to London. We ended up using the drummer from the Libertines at um that's right shows that's right yeah
0: um so i grew up i grew up mormon and uh arthur kane they they made that documentary about him new york Doll. i'm in that yep are you really i've seen that so many times uh but it's been a long time and uh so that story was big to me for me at the back in the day because it merged these two i love the new york dolls and at the time you know i was a very devout Mormon at the time, and so mer- merging these two worlds into one was miraculous in this great little movie. Yeah, I bet. You know? Yeah, and then him dying right afterwards. Isn't that and it,
2: right isn't afterwards.
1: It a beautiful story? It yeah, is so beautiful. Uh, yes, heartbreaking too. Yes. Yeah. So these these two shows that we did over in London were were huge successes. And and by the way, you should have seen backstage at those shows. It was like a who's who like wet dream for me Mm
2: -hmm.
3: it was
1: you know mick jones and glenn matlock and chrissy Hine and um you know bob Geldof and like every single punk legend was there and it was like oh my god in one room amazing (laughs) but anyhow so we did those shows and we came back and then you know Phone started ringing off the hook everybody wanted the dolls to to play you know mm-hmm. And we got invited to do uh some big festivals with the white stripes uh in england in, in like a couple of months and so i called the guys up they were game and uh everybody was really excited and then one day i got a call from arthur and he wasn't feeling well mm-hmm. told him to go to the doctor and he said ah oh, you know i don't have health insurance i don't know you know mm-hmm. blah 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 finally talked him into going to the doctor and uh, literally two days later he was gone uh, he had you know such advanced stage uh, leukemia yeah and um, so sad he was such a sweet sweet man
0: you could tell from the movie that he was yeah I loved that movie and him and everything about that and I uh, back then I did get to see one of these um, reunion shows and I forgot oh, I cool. just, yeah they, they came I live in Denver and they came through Denver and I think at that point it was David and Sylvain, and um, yeah, I don't even remember what album they were promoting. Probably the the one with the long title, with "Dance Like a Monkey." Yeah, one on. day it will
1: please us. Yeah, yeah, that one.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, such a fun show, and just to be able to say you saw them and um, and they rocked. It was a great, great show. Um, are you still involved with them at all, or no?
1: No, no, they they're, they're uh, not a band anymore. Okay. Sadly.
0: Well I figured that I didn't know if you still manage David or if you
1: no he's he's kind of uh doing his buster Poindexter mm-hmm. thing but we're we're still very close and okay. uh, talk okay. all the time
0: good um tell me a Paul Westerberg story i'm I'm sure because you <laughs> still work with him that you have to censor these or whatever which is fine tell us the fa- your favorite story that is you know worthy of
1: air oh my uh <laughs> so many of them Uh um there were there were a lot surrounding our appearance on on saturday night live in fact uh you know i i don't know if you knew but but the replacements were on saturday night live Mm -hmm. in the 80s and they were banned because paul yelled out uh some explicatives Mm -hmm. live on air Mm -hmm. and so uh what's his name uh who's who's michael uh Lauren Michaels, yeah, Lauren, Lauren had, Michaels had, yeah, yeah, had had banned the replacements or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so Paul puts out this record, fourteen songs, and it's a hit, and uh, you know, so he gets invited to play Saturday Night Live again when I'm in the band, and Lauren Michaels doesn't put two and two together that, that <laughs> Paul was in the replacements. So he finds out that, uh, literally, I think it was the day of. Of the show,
2: mm-hmm.
1: after we had already been there and done sound checks and rehearsals and all that stuff, and he's freaking out and trying to find a replacement for the replacement, huh? uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. so that
1: he can, uh, you know, no way is he going to play on the show. Blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. In the end, he, he relented. There was no other choice. He had to let let us go on the air or whatever. Yeah. Then um, we're so you're going out there. You're you're playing like literally live in front of you know, millions of people. So we, we did uh, one of the replacement songs for the second song, it was um, Can't Hardly Wait, mm-hmm. and we used the Saturday Night Live horn section. Right so on. Paul says, one uh, of you guys, he whispers this to us as we're going on stage, one of you guys yell something out in the break in the song and we'll, we'll change keys and try to trip up the horn players. So we're like looking at oh, each other. Paul. Is this real? Whatever. Right. Yeah. So it comes to the break. The drummer Josh Freeze, who we could do an entire show about. Oh, I believe by it. By the way, yeah, I believe it. He uh, he yells out inexplicably, "Burt Reynolds," and <laughs> what? We just we just all started cracking up. Like, <laughs> barely made it back on on time in the song. We didn't change keys, but by the way, but right. But, it was just this hilarious moment. It was just like if you go back and and watch that okay. footage, it's, you'll you'll see it's it's really great. And then of course at the end, you've got uh, you know everybody comes out on stage, and Charlton Heston was,
2: was uh-huh. the guest
1: host, and and you know and he's like, uh, well, I have to preface this by saying. During rehearsals, he could never get Paul's name right. He mm. called him Paul Westerfield, Paul Westerstein, Paul, you know, whatever else except Westerberg. Right. Anyhow, so Paul took note at, at the you know finale, at the end of the show. He says, I'd, Charlton says, I'd like to thank my uh, guest Paul Westerberg. And, uh, you know, goes to shake his hand. Paul spits in his hand and shakes Charlton. No way, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yes,
0: My
1: hero. Yes. <laughs>
0: oh, that guy is just never going to back down. He will never just be the guy nope. you want him to be, ever. You exactly. Know? Oh,
1: that's yep. classic. Never disappoints. No. Never.
0: Um. Okay, can I uh, – well, I'm going to ask you. You can tell me as much or as little about it as you want. So I saw The Replacements come back at the Riot Fest show here in Denver a few years ago, and it was just – one of the most joyous moments of my life. Cause I came to them late and they were much gone. <laughs> they were gone afterwards or they were, you know, they were over by the time I finally came around to the placements. And then I saw them again on the tour when he's got the letters on his shirt, every, Oh
2: show, yeah.
0: You know what I mean? And there yeah. was a noticeable difference in enthusiasm from him and the guys in these shows. Yeah. Uh, what was the deal? Was he, did you know that, did he talk to you about, I've got this plan, I'm going to wear a shirt every show with a different letter on it, and if people spell these things out afterwards, they're going to know that I was sending a message all along. Did he talk to you about that?
1: He did. He did. Because I had to to take the pictures every once in a while to to promote it. Um, He never told me what it was going to eventually say. I don't even remember. What was it? Oh, it was like I've always loved you. Uh, now I must whore myself or something. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> something
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyhow. Okay. okay. Yeah, and the band didn't know what was going on, and there was there was you know, there's there's always a reason that bands break up, and uh, when bands get back together again, it's all great. But then you know those things start creeping in again, so. Hmm. I think that's what, what happened, and 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 Paul is one of those guys. He he doesn't like to look back. He really hates revisiting the past. Mm-hmm. He, he you know he he never really wanted to, to do the replacements reunion, and you know for a long time, mm-hmm. it was just supposed to be like a hit and run kind of mm-hmm. thing, do it once and be done with it. Mm-hmm. And I was I think it, by that point, uh you know he was really feeling or not feeling it so. Yeah, not to say that those shows were were I thought were great for the oh, most yeah. part. Oh They're, yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. But I just so what. What motivates Paul Westerberg then? I mean, is it to continue to be a solo artist? I haven't heard from him for a while, other than and we. And I was going to ask you about the new uh, box set of "Don't Tell a Soul" that just came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's it's coming out? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was already out. So what is he doing? You know, is he just so heads down on solo material? Is he, does he garden? You know, does he quilt? What is so, what is so important to him that getting, making oodles of money in the replacements isn't attractive?
1: Well, yeah, that was never his motivation, making money, you know? And but it know, wasn't it, yours
0: either. But then China comes around. It's like, hey, yeah. I don't mind money. You know, I'm not blaming anyone for making money. But it's like, I deserve this. This is a victory lap for me. I made some great music, and it's just now getting noticed. I'm going to take my millions. You're re- you're willing know, to give it to me I now? Know. I'll take it. You know what I mean? That's how <laughs> I view it.
1: In fact, there was there was an offer a uh, year before last for them to play one one more last show. <laughs> and you know it was well over a million dollars and i asked he said no and i said why and he mm. goes you know it's not about the money if if you know if i wanted to do it i i would play a show for free sure and you you have to admire that i mm. mean that's you know yeah you have to admire it and scratch your head at the same time <laughs> i guess so true but.
2: that is exactly <laughs> it that's exactly no, it no but it's <laughs> yeah
1: but yeah uh you know he uh he he's sort of retired from music at this point mm. you know he's, he's doing a lot of uh of uh painting mm. artistic painting
2: okay
1: some writing and uh you know i think he likes just living a quiet life at home and, and so. not being in the spotlight
0: okay i think he's divorced right And his pa- or his kids yes. grown up mm-hmm. So is it just? Yeah,
1: his his son is um is in uh, I think his last year of college.
0: Okay. Okay. So he's just content to be home by himself, doing his own thing. Yeah. Okay. 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 Speaking of you know I don't (laughs) rough transition. Speaking of paychecks, uh, you (laughs) uh, you managed I believe the mighty Mighty body Bostones for a while, and and does that include? I still do. Oh, you still do. Okay, I wasn't sure if that yeah. was still going on. By extension, then, do you uh, manage Dickie?
1: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't manage his television career. That's but, what I wanted you
2: know, to know. Other things okay. As, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: And again, i am we try to cover the business side sensitively. And I'm just, this is honest curiosity. I'm not trying to gossip or anything like that. But I was curious if someone like Dickie signed some you know, big contract to be with Kimmel or whatever, you as the manager see a slice of that, I guess. But if you're not his TV manager, maybe you don't?
1: Yeah, no, no, not at all. Okay. Yeah, I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, Dickie and Jimmy have been friends for years, and so Dickie's been with the show since day one. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, all right, I didn't know how that worked. Uh, That's all, I was just curious how that works. Um, Okay, so tell me about your store. You're in Providence, oh, yeah. Rhode Island, and you have a you have like a cult, pop culture tchotchkes store, right?
1: Yeah, so it's called the Emporium of Popular Culture, and uh, part of it is uh, it's basically an antique store of pop culture items like mid-century modern furniture and just cool and weird stuff. And then uh, the other half is an art gallery slash venue where we do shows and hmm. uh, art. Exhibits and who knows what all sorts of fun stuff But it's an opportunity for me to you know um, fulfill my creative needs and You know I I can use my rolodex to get some pretty Mm -hmm. cool artists to play there and Have fun and do something different that they normally wouldn't do nice and uh, yeah, I love it.
0: I love it, too I mean, I haven't been there obviously but looking at the pictures online It looks like just it looks like the kind of place I would want to um, sneak into and not tell anyone they're closing and I don't want them to know that I'm still in the store you know what I mean <laughs> So that they close it and they leave and I just hang out in your store all night and play with everything.
1: I've, yeah, I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of requests from people to uh, to do sleepovers in there I've just, just leave me here and lock yeah. the door and you know come back tomorrow. That's what
0: I want. That's what I want to do. <laughs> um okay so i i mean i gotta i gotta ask this and it's it's a little bit of a point blank question but i'm gonna do it anyway if if rocky's gone and paul is largely retired unless he's gonna sell this artwork and you get a cut of that is the are the mighty mighty Bostones your biggest client are you even not much of a manager anymore or do you do do so many things that we just don't even know about what's the status today
1: (laughs) well yeah the 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 boss tones are, are my primary okay. client at this okay. point and they keep me very busy they're they've been very active the last couple of years yeah. uh, especially this year and uh there's so many of them it's 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 mm-hmm. keeps my uh my plate full I bet. I bet. <laughs> um yeah and, and you know the the store and gallery are uh another great avenue for me so that, okay. that's good and uh you know, I'm I'm always looking at uh at other artists. You know, mm-hmm. you, you never know. Yeah. What might happen? Okay. I'm not done yet. Good, good. Um,
0: <laughs> and you're married. You have kids.
1: Yes, one okay. kid. He's grown up now. Yep. Okay. Does your wife work? Happily married. Good. Yes. Okay. She works at a hospital.
0: Nice. Um, you sound like a pretty normal guy who just happens to work in rock and roll.
2: you know yeah
0: okay um well look i i usually close these things out with a couple of similar questions Uh, first of all i want to know if you have any regrets if there's anything when you look back and you're like man i shouldn't have done that or that was the wrong choice at the time or things would have turned out differently if we hadn't just done whatever if there's one of those out there and then you've told some great stories if there is a favorite one that you haven't already told us that we might dig, is there what comes to mind? When you sit in your pop culture store in Providence and you're just like, I cannot believe what has happened to me, what comes to mind?
1: <laughs> there's just so many of them. Really? Um, yeah, I, a, lot, a lot of my friends are encouraging me to uh, to write a book. Yeah. There's just, there's just a lot of stories and it's like, you know, I I never really hit pay dirt, but mm-hmm. it was you know it was the journey. You know, yeah. and it's like I I dipped my toes into a lot of a lot a lot of pay dirt, but yeah. <laughs> I never came away with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's a, a lot of uh, just great great experiences that seem surreal now, but you know they they actually happened. So maybe maybe one day mm. I'll uh, I'll work on that. that. Um, what about yeah. Morrissey?
0: You mentioned him earlier. Was he prickly? Did you have? Did you oh, interact? he was wonderful. Was he really? Had, oh,
1: good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had heard all those stories going yeah. into it, so it was very apprehensive. But uh, yeah, he, he was, he was tremendous.
2: Okay,
0: I'm still a huge fan. I know he's getting a bad rap, and I probably shouldn't be as big as I am or whatever. But I'm still. His music means too much to me to like count him out entirely. I can't do it. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I love it too much. Yeah, um, any regrets? Do you have any regrets?
1: Uh, other than that album cover? Ah, uh, no. yes. Honestly, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the only one. Yeah, I believe it. You
0: know, I believe it. We're gonna yeah. make the yeah. album there, there cover. Were, there were
1: there. times during the tough times that I was like, you know, because I I was you know on on a path to go, you know, to to you know law school. I wanted to be a mm. lawyer and all that nonsense. I was like. Man, what a, I should have just stayed, you know, stayed the course and, yeah. you know, fuck this rock and roll shit, you know. Yeah. I should have <laughs> stayed yeah. in school. But no, I, I don't regret it for a second because I could Good. have never had the experiences that I had Good. Um, doing something like that. That's so, great. No um, regrets.
0: Well, look, uh, thanks for talking to me, Darren. I, I've loved the Red Rockers for years. I had a feeling you would, have a, you would have a fascinating story, and you do, and I'm so grateful
1: you shared it with me. Thank you for doing that. Well, thank you, John, for even having any interest in <laughs> my stupid band.
0: No, I've been wanting to do this for a year. <laughs> there you have it, Darren Hill. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I don't know how a true music fan couldn't enjoy that. I mean, so many bands, so many people, personalities that he touched on, so much fun behind-the-scenes stuff in there. His store sounds amazing. He sounds like a really young, lively guy, and yet he's, you know, He's not anymore, you know? He's probably in his 60s. It's crazy, what a life. How many, So many different aspects of the music industry have passed through Darren's experience. I love it. Uh, I wanted to close it out with another song from the Red Rockers. This is off that first album, that first punky album, Condition Red. This is Dead Heroes. It just felt appropriate. In fact, Darren, I believe, wrote this song. It's a song about America where we fight, die, and kill. And unfortunately, he wrote that 40 years ago, and it has not changed. It sucks. Uh, anyway, thank you, Darren. And thank you, Derek Johnson, for making that happen. Huge thank you to Derek. I'm so glad we finally did that. Now, next week, we are listening to a member from another British alternative band of the 80s and 90s. They uh, they weren't huge. They, had, they were played on college radio. They had one sort of breakthrough hit that was in a movie, and their name is you won't forget the name it's kind of a weird name uh unfortunately they didn't last too long and their lead singer died a few years ago and so they are done but he has a lot of interesting stories to tell i don't think you'll know who you'll know who it is when you hear it i don't think i just gave it away but if you think you know tell me i'm really curious okay anyway a huge thanks as always to yan the Man, for all that you do. Thank you, buddy. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there or you can send us an email, at, at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at the hustlepod. And we should have another bonus episode coming out later this week. Um so look out for that as well. Okay? Thanks everybody. We love you.